Welcome to the Gym Owners Fitness Business Podcast, proudly sponsored and supported by Evolt 360 Body Scanning, Ignite Fitness Business Events Australia, the Healthy Aging Summit Brisbane, and 20 Perfect EMS Training. Well, good morning and welcome to the Gym Owners Fitness Business Podcast. Today, we have a panel of fitness professionals, all male, to discuss mental health. Welcome this morning to Scott Hunt, Andrew Chadwick, Justin Williams, Darren Roberts, Owen Bowling, and Dave Leo. Good morning, gentlemen. Good Good morning, Mel. Thank you for joining me this morning. Just before we kick off our podcast, starting with Scott, if you could just each tell me a little bit about yourselves in, say, 25 words. Yeah, sure, Mel. I'm Scott Hunt. I own Fitness Enhancement Personal Training. We have um, our 100% private studios, and we also have mobile personal trainers all around Australia, and we really specialise in in helping people who don't don't feel comfortable going to your normal gym or, or don't have time for it. Fantastic. Next up, Andrew. Oh, that's me. Not used to being called that. Uh, G'day, team. Uh, Chatty, I am a master instructor for TRX, Trigger Point Performance, Animal Flow. Uh, I do a lot of coaching in Australia and the world to groups of PTs to hopefully help them coach their clients better. Fantastic. Dave? I am founder of Hoofstick Movement Coach. So I mentor uh, high-performance coaches. Uh, to do with movement and also do with holistic health, and I'm also a studio owner as well. Fantastic, Justin. Hi, yeah, I'm an owner of Seasonal Nutrition and Training, personal training company, and also a product specialist for a bulk body composition machine, and go around educating people basically on how to utilize the equipment and how to understand the human body with regards to nutrition and training. Fantastic, Darren. Hi, Mel and listeners. Uh, Darren Roberts, I'm the Master Trainer at Impact Training Corporation. So we help individuals and businesses maximise their income through sales, leadership, communications training, and the father of two kids and husbands. Fantastic. And Owen. Hey, Mel. Uh, I am the founder and director of three companies that service the fitness, health, and, and wellbeing spaces. One is a product an education company, one is a digital media company, and another is a wellness and technology company. Fantastic. All right, let's get underway with our podcast today. So just for our listeners, none of our panel today are qualified mental health practitioners. However, as fitness professionals and business owners who work in the industry that deals with this issue daily... We hope today we as a panel can pass on informative education and tools for the betterment of the listener. If you're listening to this podcast and during this time, if you feel uncomfortable or you feel that some of the content disturbs you, we encourage you to call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue, 1300 Today I'll open up the podcast with some general statistics on health. So, $9.1 billion is spent, was spent on mental health 2016 to 2017. Daily, daily, six men take their lives in Australia 
and 82 men have thoughts about suicide. Three million Australians live with anxiety or depression. Each day, there are 21,400 presentations are made to the public hospital emergency departments, people with mental health issues. This is pretty high figures, which I believe all our panel would agree on. So Scott, you're somebody that works in the industry daily with people. What do these figures mean to you as a professional? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess being being in more the personal training side of it, we tend to not get many people coming to us quoting those figures, but we do certainly over the years, we over 20 years now, frequently have people come talking about health and fitness and weight loss, and then we dig a lot deeper. We, we, we find out uh, find out that there have been mental health issues. Um, so I think exercise plays such a massive, massive role in actually helping mental health issues, but it's so rare that people outside of people in the industry like us like actually connect those dots and go, exercise is a really critical thing to actually help this. And as we all know, the problem's getting worse and worse, and exercise is one of the best things to help, but there's just not enough awareness out of it. So hopefully this podcast will, will, will make a bit more awareness. What I was disturbed by with the figures that each day, each day 777,000 prescriptions are filled out for people with issues. Now, we need to be pretty clear that mental health issues also relate to um, eating disorders, anxiety, depression. And this really, you know, 777,000 prescriptions is, is quite disturbing. Dave, Leo, can I just ask you, what do you think of those figures? Uh, unfortunately, the, the way that the medical system works is it's, it's reactive, and certainly, um, you know, handing out prescriptions to make yourself better is is, a, is often a, a quick fix. Now, that's not to say that that's not useful, because certainly uh, anyone that's dealt with uh, with people with with mental health issues understands that there is a whole number of factors that can be involved. But this is where we need to take that holistic approach, and if um, if we can get exercising better, which we've just talked about a bit, and we can eat better, if we can start thinking better. And working um, from a holistic point of view, we just get so much better results, you know. Yeah, Darren, you you work um, in the fitness industry, but you work sort of more business orientated, where you're walking into clubs every single day. What do those figures say to you as a business professional that walks into clubs every single day? Because part of your job role is to train up sales professionals to enhance the consumer's experience and to get more feet coming through the door. What do those numbers say to you? Those numbers say we're doing plenty wrong. Uh, those numbers are a disaster. Yeah, I think in the fitness industry, we're in an industry which is, which is a bubble in itself where people, given the nature of the industry, are comfortable to talk about what they like about themselves and what they don't like and what they want to improve largely in the past related to their body or their, their physical health. So it would align to say, well, if in our industry people are more likely to talk about what they want to improve or dislike about their body, they may also be open to doing that about their mental health as well. You know, but I think we find even in our industry that for a long time has been limited. Hopefully it's improving. So outside in other environments where they're not in this 
a bubble or environment of being open to talk about what they like or dislike or want to improve, you know, I think even out there it's far worse. So um, as part of that business structure and, and the training we do is you know, goal setting and, and visualisation and mental health, which along with the fitness and the nutrition goes a long way in uh, prevention and enhancing mental health, which I'm sure we'll talk through today. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I wanted to touch base on before we go into some tools for our listeners to take away is uh, I was obviously reading up on this over the last couple of days and language, the language that we as professionals use every single day um, can impact how a person feels about their mental health, um, you know, and, and the recovery process for some people. People prefer different terms and phrases when they're talking about mental health. And some of the words that I read about what not to use that we do use frequently were, you know, um, cheer up, snap out of it, it's all in your head, you don't look depressed, what's, what's wrong with you? What is some of the language that you would prefer fitness business professionals to be using in the industry with their clients? And this is an open panel question. Mm. I think the um, it should be more it should always be encouraging and it should be educating rather than dismissive. So those those sort of words you were saying are, are sort of dismissing that person's they're, they're sort of calling out and giving you an emotion there. They're letting you know that they're not happy about something, and to just dismiss it or say get over it or harden up or anything like that, you're kind of dismissing the whole issue. I mean, so Justin, what are some of the words? I mean, you're working with consumers every single day, the general public, when you go out to conventions, etc., and with the with a Vault Three Hundred and Sixty. What is some of the terminology that you use when you're, say, you scan somebody and they just come back with this totally negative sentence about the result? What's yep. some of the language that yeah. you would use? So the, the, the funny thing about it is, whenever someone's emotional, they actually disconnect from the logical part of their brain. So as soon as they're in that emotional state, you really need to try and be careful with how you handle it. So, so they'll come with me, and it's, it's normally because they have a, a preconceived perception of what they think they are. So you've really got to be careful with educating and saying, well, look, you know, everybody's different, and these are the sort of things that we can do to help you, and maybe maybe this was not done properly, and maybe we can help you with this. Or You really have to be quite careful with You can't just, just be telling them something or, or dismissing their their response, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I would assume that because individuals are different, your language with each person would be different too. You just don't have 100%. a standard stock language. Yeah, you, yeah. Have, yeah. yeah you have to feed off, feed off their emotion and, and sort of change their response and even you know, be a bit more sensitive where it's needed and, and sometimes give them a bit more of a harsh reality. But, but you can't in any way dismiss their feeling. Now, does anybody else have any feedback in regards to, to language that we use as professionals? Yeah. Mel, if it's okay, um, it's Katie. Yes. Language is a really powerful thing, and we don't actually understand the power that we have with words because we're not in the other person's head. So, unfortunately, when you're speaking to somebody, they're viewing the world through their filters, their emotions, the, their past experiences. So, when when you're talking to somebody, you need to be aware that they're viewing every word that you say through their filter. So you might say that you're saying something that is uh, innocuous to a lot of people. In their mind, that could be a catalyst to send them on a spiral either upwards or downwards. So they, when you're using words, it's super powerful in the human system. One of the things that we've also got to look at is different types of people like to be told information in different ways. For example, my friends at PS360, 
They will say they're ecomorphic people like like facts, like details, want linear patterns with those words. Um, the more endomorphic person actually wants the 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 feeling side of it. And if you're speaking to them, a lot of times they'll actually be looking at you going, oh, he's such a nice person, I'm just going to do what he says. And your mesomorphs, they just want, okay, change this now. So they want a challenge around that. It's, it's interesting when we start to look at language, even at the sales process, why is that person there? And for me, one of the big things, and this came up earlier, is that health screen form at the start, you know, when someone walks in and just joins the gym? Yeah. You know that bit? Yeah. Right? So they walk in, and we don't know this person, we're asking them a whole heap of health barrage questions that they're intimidated at that point in time. They're not going to give you the right answer because we actually haven't earned the right to have that answer yet. And once we get them in the journey and in the process and create an environment where they walk in and they feel good about themselves, hopefully, that's when they'll start to reveal those little issues that will come out and come up and, and start to go, I, was, I didn't feel comfortable to tell you that I had this issue at that point in time. I feel comfortable to tell you now. A, a good way to relate that is if you've ever had a massage, who's had a massage? Me. Yeah. yeah. And you're on the bed and the lady walks in or the man walks in and they say, you got any health issues? You look at them and say, nah. I just got to lie down. And then halfway through the massage, they touch this spot and you go, oh, um, by the way, when I was two, I fell over and broke that arm. Yeah. Because they've actually built that relationship with you at that point in time. You feel safe in that space to give that information. So in that sales process, I mean, it's very – the words you use in that sales process, if you're saying – as soon as you start breaking someone about their belief system, like, uh, do you smoke? Uh, well, yes, I, I don't personally smoke. If that person smokes and they say, yes, I smoke, they've seen the pictures on the packet. They know what it's doing to them. For you at that point in time to say, did you know that if you stop smoking, you can save this much money and you can also go, that's a win-win. You've actually just put up against their belief system and they're not actually going to want to give you any more information personally about themselves. Language is huge, mate. It's one of those things that we as fitness professionals actually need to go away and learn more about because the impact it has on people is huge. Sorry, I just went on. That's okay. That's all right. That's a rant that needs to happen. That's okay. Andrew, so I'm going to actually ask you this question. It's a little bit about what you've just discussed. The word mindfulness Mm -hmm. is a word that is thrown around in our industry every single day. As a male, and feel yeah. free anybody else to jump in, as a male, do you think men misunderstand what the word mindfulness means? And can anybody here share with us what you do to be mindfulness? What does it mean? Because, you know, I pick up a magazine and I'm seeing this word everywhere and I'm picturing, you know, yogis sitting in the middle of the house, you know, with all the light mm-hmm. shining and all of that sort of stuff. But what does it really mean? And how can we act on it? Uh, is I've that got a, well, you go, mate. I've got a couple of insights over here. So I... I um, I spent a reasonable amount of time both practicing this myself and also just looking at it as a concept, um, in particular for the effect that it can have on how you feel in, in, in moment to moment, um, but also, you know, what it does for your performance and psychological state. So one of the things that I used to think about mindfulness was that it was really just about meditation. And I think that's probably one of the big misconceptions out there is that, Mindfulness equals meditation and, and so on and so forth. And 
the conversations that I've had with people, especially people that haven't yet tried investigating that space off their own uh, back, is that they're just basically closed to the idea of meditation in the format that they think about it, especially men. But what I, one of the things that I learned as I was kind of exploring this space, um, talking to you know amazing people like Paul Taylor, reading books, listening to podcasts, etc., is that mindfulness is really about being much more fully aware of of your conscious state moment to moment, and that can be achieved in a whole bunch of very very different ways, and depending on the person, different ways of achieving mindfulness are going to resonate with them. So one of the you know, classic things that fitness professionals can relate to because of the space that we operate in is uh, breathing that then influences your state of mind. You know, so there's lots of breathing techniques that you can activate like box breathing and different techniques that will actually change your physiology and change your mental state very, very quickly. And that, that is sort of tapping into mindfulness in, in a sense. You can, you can be mindful for two or three seconds and give yourself a huge reprieve of the mental burden of your, of your chattering monkey mind just splurting all sorts of rubbish into your head. Um, so, so I think just the concept of mindfulness versus meditation is something that's probably important to, to get the messaging out around more. Then as a male, Owen, if, if, you know, there's a male now listening to this podcast that says, well, that's really great, Owen, but some of that terminology that you used, I didn't quite understand. So where would they go, their laptop in front of them? Where would they go? Look, there's a number of great resources online. I mean, I think the starting point would probably be uh, looking at breathing techniques for mindfulness and, and then you can google search you can look at podcasts there's so many different resources out there i know um someone like paul taylor who is in our industry has some excellent resources that, that uh he links also to happiness and performance and uh, and dave i'm sure you've got some resources around uh, physiological state changes that are linked to mindfulness as well mm. All right, so Owen's given us some good tools there in regards to, to mindfulness. Dave, um, can I just ask you a question? And you, you're not the only one here on the podcast that this relates to. You have an extremely busy life. You're traveling globally, presenting at workshops. You're running your own new business. But you're also a family man and you have kids. How do you keep the love burning and the family positive whilst you're traveling globally? Yeah, travelling used to be a lot more fun before I had family, I have to say. Uh, it's, it's great fun when I can take them with me, but uh, I do miss them when I travel now. It really takes the shine off it. Uh, but I do love travelling, so I think that's one of the things I've realised, that for my own happiness, it is important for me to travel as well. So, um, and certainly, I guess one of the things I, I want to throw out here now is, you know, it, it does start with, with you. And... Um, you know, if you're not happy, it's hard to bring happiness to other places as well. So looking after yourself is, is such a big one. And part of my happiness, though, is spending time with my family. And that's, my, that's one of my highest values. So I'm very mindful of the amount of travelling I do. And when I travel, I normally travel quick. And when I come home, I'm at home. Uh, what's more damaging, I think, is when you're at work, but when you're at work, you're thinking about being at home. 
And then when you're at home, you're thinking about doing work. They really know you. So how do you stop that boat, Dave? How, how do you stop that being at work, think about home, being at home, think about work? Because we are all guilty of that. So what are some tools mm. where we can disengage from that issue? Yeah. So uh, that, that mindfulness, that, that acknowledgement and that realisation, a really big one. So uh, just stop. Catch yourself. Acknowledge. Uh, and choose to be where you need to be. If you want to be at home, be at home. If you want to be at work, be at work. But it's just like if you've got two two television channels playing at the same time, all you're going to do is get a mess. So part of being mindful is to be in one place at one time. So choose where you're going to be and be there. Mm. Justin? Yeah, I agree. Darren, 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 go for it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That's something that for mindfulness, for me, is that awareness of it's almost sitting in a helicopter above yourself observing your own thoughts and your own action and you know for a long time I definitely fell into the trap of as you were saying uh, either being at work and thinking gee I wish I was at footy training with the kids or whatever and or being at their concert <laughs> watching something thinking gee I wish I was at work while I'm thinking about work and that was just that really busy mind and I became aware that my mind was never quiet I was always thinking about something for me, that ability to sit in a spot and just focus on whatever is happening, whether that's purely on work or purely, you know, the kids' events or whatever, is using peripheral vision. I remember Alan Parker, um, one of the leading world trainers in NLP, trained on expanding your peripheral vision. And if you can have broad peripheral vision, it tends to stop the clutter in your mind and stop your thinking and it silences the mind, which allows you just to focus on that one event and really enjoy it. So if the listeners and us can focus on rather than hard eye contact, increasing their peripheral vision while they're at the kids' event or while they're at work or whatever, it actually silences the mind and allows you to focus on one aspect. One thing to add to that, Mel, if it's okay. Yeah, go. If you notice, like one of the things, if you talk to a lot of really good people at meditation, they tend to be, well, maybe it's a misconception, of people who aren't really good at meditation think you need to be meditating you can't anything else this meditation is all or nothing if I'm not getting 100% correct or if I'm not feeling mm. present in this moment then and then they break themselves for not being in that state or they break themselves mm. for uh, I'm at work but I'm thinking about the kids so I'm going to break myself about my, and you go on again a spiral I think a big thing is particularly for blokes just to say okay I've noticed that that's, that's a new thing and maybe having a skill like writing that thought down so that you can come back to it later. Um, for me, a big one, I'm at work and all of a sudden my kids will be in an event um, and I've missed that because I'm overseas doing something. And you think, oh, you just write that down and then you can send them a message later saying, how was that event, buddy, and have a chat to them then. Or if you're with your kids or with your family or, or, or with loved ones, that same thing, if a work thought comes into your head, acknowledge that it's there because if you don't acknowledge it, it's just going to keep cycling around in your head. So acknowledge it's there, just get up, write it down or write a note on your phone or whatever and then come back to it later. That has been a strategy that has worked for me in the past and it might work for others. I mean, that is an absolutely great um, strategy, um, Andrew. Scott, can I just ask you, you're, you're a busy sure. person. We know you've got a couple of businesses happening. You're dealing with people every day. How do you just like 
get rid of the mess and get rid of the stress? Um, good question. Um, so I, I think the key is trying to focus on that one thing at a time, like whatever Brian said. And there's so many in your business, there's so many different facets to it in your personal life as well. So it's always a balance. That's why it's called balance because you have to keep working up the whole time. Um, a good one is just having a simple to-do list. Another one, back to the, the mindfulness and looking at what you're focusing on, whatever I was saying, is focus on what you're doing. So get rid of your phone. I think part of the problem people have nowadays as well is our, our phone's always within arm's reach, which is like distracting work things when you're at home, distracting home things when you're at work. And then, of course, there's a person who's on Facebook while they're sitting on a bench press at the gym all day. So <laughs> get rid of those distractions and actually focus on one thing at a time and use yeah, tips and tools just just, just get rid of it because, yeah, you can't, you can't actually multitask that well, especially us men, right? True. Sorry, oh, well, but well, true. Well, no, man, that's okay. And I, so this is a really great question actually to lead into, and any of you can jump in at any time. How important is it to detox from digital technology? Oh. Jump in there, Mel. So a good one, um, a good saying that I heard from a guy was, we're not actually human doings, we're human beings. Beings, yes. Yeah, so everybody's always doing something on to the next thing. And like we come back to that, what does mindfulness mean? And it being present, it's being in one place on one being. time. Yeah, so, so I always adopt for myself Sundays a day that I always switch my phone off. And all my clients know that, and my bosses, everybody that I work with knows that that's, that's that time. And if we ever go out for a meal, if I'm ever socialising with any friends or even work meetings, the phone's off and it's to the side. And like Andrew said, obviously, if you have a thought, you, you get it out of your head, you write it down, you acknowledge it, and then you move on. Because the social media thing is just, it's a black hole, it, it sucks you into it, and you, you lose, you lose time and energy. And what I think is also really important to note here, and, and I'm sure everyone on this panel can agree, is that this is a practice and you, you go through ups and downs. So you're going to have times where you're nailing it and you have great habits and you're putting the phone away when you come home and doing all that and, you, and, and things are going great. And, and you know, I'm certainly guilty of this, of, of, of having the swings and roundabouts because you might go away. For me, it's often when I'll go away to a conference and so I'll reinstall the social apps on my phone because it's – it's a very helpful tool to connect and engage with people while you're at a conference and share some of that content with your wider audience. And then that filters back into bad habits once I get home. And then it, it might take it might take a few months. Now, what's really interesting about this uh, is that I know the theory, right? So I know fundamentally, logically, all of the things that I have to do, and I still fall into bad habits. And I think. You, you, you just have to recognise that that's what we are as humans and how do you create some frameworks to actually understand in the moment whether you're in a good pattern or a bad pattern so that you can recognise it sooner because it is going to go up and down. You are going to have different periods. Owen, do you think that we as fitness business professionals punish ourselves for not staying on that that straight line because we're always telling our clients what they should be doing put your phone away you know go go play some team sport with your family take your wife out for tea if you've been away for a couple of weeks yet we are guilty of not practicing mm. what we preach why is that absolutely well I, and i think this ties into the to the larger mental health conversation about uh, about having guilt and then not 
not letting yourself get past that. And and whatever the topic is that you're feeling guilty about or or shame or, or any of those negative feelings, you know, we, we don't really create environments for ourselves where it's actually okay to talk about that stuff easily. And, and I think that's a really important conversation is what kind of environment, what kind of friendships or relationships do you have in your life where talking about the shame that you feel around certain things is actually okay, you know, and that's, that's, that's not an easy problem to solve because, especially for men, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, I, I got a huge amount from listening to and reading uh, some of the work by Brene Brown. If, if you're interested in, in looking at self-compassion and authenticity and opening up for yourself and with others, then I'd highly recommend um, you know, looking at some of Brene Brown's work. I have seen that. It's pretty it's pretty cool stuff. Um, hey Mel. Yes. Mel and guys, do you think it's also that to that point, do you think it's also a bit of the all or nothing mentality that seems to occur in fitness? Like oh, twelve absolutely. weeks. Absolutely. All, 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 and then after 12 weeks, you go and you have your blowout dinner and then it's nothing. So same thing with this. It seems to be even our language today is all about, I use these strategies. It's it's not about all or nothing. How many times a week can you do it well? How many times a week can you exercise? How many times a week? And and having the freedom to say, it's okay, I missed it today. That's all right. I'm aware of it. So maybe I can make up for that tomorrow or tomorrow is busy. I'm going to plan for myself to do that on, rather than going, you know, it's, it's, we tell people this, right, in the fitness industry, you're about to join a gym, do not come seven times this week and flog yourself, <laughs> you've got to be so sore, however, when yeah. it comes to these sorts of topics, we're literally saying, do it seven times a week, otherwise you're going to be so sore, because you're not doing it, so that all or nothing approach, and I think that stems from, rightly or wrongly, 12 week, 8 week, 4 week, 1 hour challenges, whatever that is. Um, that everything approach. Now, you've got to remember that athletes, when they go for that all-or-nothing approach, what's built into their training program? Rest. Recovery. Recovery. Regeneration. It's all built in there. So rather than having an all-or-nothing approach, I think if we could empower people to say, you know what, try it. How many times a week could you uh, spend some time being mindful? And if they say, and here's a power of language, if they say, I can do it three times this week, and then they say, I can do it here, here, and here, and they do it, they chose to do it. It's not us telling them to do it. They chose to do it. And hopefully the benefits they get from that will impart that they feel like. Correct. Do you, yeah, think, yeah. Though, do you think, though, men, and, and women are guilty of this, okay, do you think men see recovering, recovering as... Being lazy, it's weak. No, you can't I, do it. You've I got really to soldier think it's on. The language again that we've used yeah. now. I think the yeah. word rest has those implications. I think the word recovery and regeneration are far more active words and mean that you need to do something to get to that state. I think probably the bigger issue is less about the terms like recovery and rest, and it's more about the concept of getting help especially in the mental side of things. How many men are are comfortable acknowledging that, A, maybe there is a situation that's going on that's not ideal, and B, maybe they don't have the skill set to actually self-address and and possibly, you know, let's let's look for some help before it gets to that critical moment of, oh, I need help, otherwise something really, really rare is going to happen. Again, all or nothing again, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that's a big thing. 
I mean, if I could add, hopefully, something to add, but also add a plug. Um, the, the name of my centre is the Kaizen Centre, and the, the Japanese have a wonderful concept called Kaizen, which basically means small incremental improvements. Mm. And they even have a word for that, which is great. And that, that concept there really rings true for me. Uh, you know, we don't go from, from zero to hero. And the um, you know, biggest loser probably hasn't done a whole lot for um, thinking about how people approach their health and weight loss. But if we can get a little bit better each time, and if we can build on top of that and keep on coaching people uh, with, with that concept, um, that's worth what changes lives in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I love that whole, that whole concept. So yeah. Justin shared with us earlier um, a stress-busting idea that helps him relax and he turns off his phone um, every Sunday. So well done on that, Justin. Can any of you share something else that you do religiously every week? Yeah, can I, Darren, here? Um, so I've got a few things that listeners may benefit from. Um, firstly, a book called The Miracle Morning. The Miracle Morning has a process which is um, ideally based on a daily routine or a regular routine, which is, which is the acronym SAVERS, S-A-V-E-R-S. Uh, and S is for silence. So whether that be meditation or just completely silencing the mind, and I think just getting back to the social media stuff, that's the trouble with social media is that we're always distracted and we're always doing something rather than just having that silent time. So whether that's two minutes a day or ten minutes a day is up to you. Um, a is for affirmations, so some positive self-talk. V is for visualisation, like, you know, your perfect day or the success of today. Of course, E is for exercise. Um, R is for reading, so 30 minutes of something positive, or again, it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 2 minutes, whatever, reading something positive. And S is for scribing, similar to what some of the team have said today about writing down uh, some thoughts or some learnings or listening to something inspirational. So that's the Miracle Morning. Um, As part of that, the silence part, I do some guided meditation. I haven't done meditation for a long time previous to this, this guided meditation through some apps. I use Smiling Mind, Calm, and Headspace over time. I'm using Smiling Mind at the moment to be really free apps. Um, and the last thing for you, that I went to a, a professional speakers event, and Anthony Hart was the presenter, and he's formed Life Back Tracker, Life Back Tracker, so it's lifebacktracker.com. Uh, he had some significant mental health, which ended up him jumping off a hotel and, and attempting suicide. Uh, fortunately, he recovered and found four ways to really help prevent and also overcome mental health. And one is to talk. Now, his statistics said that six out of ten suicide attempts haven't spoken to a GP about their anxiety or depression before their attempt. Mm. So they're dealing with it themselves, trying to get over themselves. So to talk to a trusted friend, and by the way, he suggests not just spread on social media what you're going through necessarily, mm. but mm. talk to one trusted friend and, of course, talk to a medical professional, a GP or a, a, a mental health professional. And then, of course, exercise. His research showed that cardio exercise has benefits for mental health, but he suggests 40 minutes, four to five times a week of cardio. But again, um, if two is better than one, one is better than none. Uh, last couple of things, no drugs and reduce alcohol is the third part of his four-step process. And the fourth part is 
sleep, good quality sleep. So prepare for sleep two hours beforehand. Ideally, turn those devices off um, and remove any stimulants like coffee. So anyway, uh, there's some things that I've, I've used or have been suggested from experts uh, but like Back Tracker has got some good information about some to-do lists and those sorts of things as well. So as I, I said at the start of the podcast that none of our panel today are qualified as mental health practitioners. However, I will ask um, a question based on nutrition. What are some of the foods that if people are feeling anxious, um, they feel that they could be suffering from depression, what are some of the foods that you feel that they should avoid and some of the foods that they should start to include in their diet? Now, anyone can answer that. Any processed sugars, processed foods, fast foods, anything that's, that's, that's likely to have an emotional benefit. Or, or they think it's going to make them feel better, like it's, it's, it's a band-aid approach again, I suppose. So normally something that's always good for you, you never look forward to doing, but always feel grateful for afterwards. Likewise, if something's bad for you, you look forward to it and obviously get the repercussions afterwards. So, so it's, it's any of that, that food that's not really helping you. So again, it comes back to if you can't help yourself, you can't, you can't help anyone else. True. I think nutrition's a big one in... Different health types, different people need to go and research what works well for mm. their their body type because certain people need carbohydrates and certain people need less. And yep. there's some good things. David Gillespie wrote some really easy books to read, um, Sweet Poison and Toxic Oils, a couple of really easy-to-read books that most people get. They read it and... I know personally I read Sweet Poison 10 years ago and, and have chosen to stop eating a lot of processed foods because of that. The, the, the nutrition thing, Mel, is something uh, that is very highly individually specific because we've got to take into account what are they eating right now and what does their health type actually require for um, mental health or for health in general. I mean, I think Rainbow cake probably is on any of those profiles, though. So, I, I'd agree with that statement. No. <laughs> yeah. I think an important thing to add, though, is also, you know, if you're thinking specifically about the mental health approach and, and food in relation to anxiety and, and things like that, would be what's the correlation between what they're actually worried about? Are they worried about their energy or are they anxious about their weight specifically or is it something totally unrelated? And yeah. if there's a... If there's a food that makes them feel, um, you know, better, that isn't really like rainbow cake detrimental to their health, and and it's not going to then make them feel guilty for having eaten that food, yeah, weight related issues with food, yeah, then I think uh, then I think it changes the conversation about what food they yeah. can, yeah, completely. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, I just jump in with a different spin, Darren. Yeah, obviously, walking take is a key to add, mm. but from a mindfulness perspective related to nutrition. I think part of our busy lives is we eat and we don't taste. So part of that mindfulness, no matter you know, whether it's healthy or non-healthy in this situation, is that when we do eat, really focus on that mindfulness of tasting the food. You know, when I sit at the table from someone else, I truly believe that my water tastes better than theirs. <laughs> my, my water is colder than oh, theirs. Oh, that's awesome. Food is better than theirs. That's amazing. I, 
So focusing on what you rather than just chewing and tucking it down and getting to your next workout or your next client. Yes. Take that time to really notice the taste buds. Notice what it feels like. How cold is that water going down my throat? And that's mm. not necessarily answering your question about what foods to eat, but how yeah. to create mindfulness about around nutrition and around all the different scenarios we see ourselves in. So a new rule, a new rule that the audience could implement as part of that strategy is. When I'm eating, I am not looking at a screen. Period. Yeah, that's a great rule to follow. Mm. Yep. I just, I just literally heard when you're eating, just telling your own head that my food tastes better than everyone else's. Yeah. Oh, your food. Yeah. yeah. All right. And Perhaps uh, from a social interaction point of view, too, yeah. it's just so important to, you know, my family we eat around the table, and that's where we catch up with each other. Where. We, uh, we, we talk about what's happened in our day and then I get to uh, spend time with my children and my wife. So, you know, eating in front of the television, now all of a sudden that's not where my attention goes and it's not on my food and it's not on my, my connection. So these are, this is big wiring, which we've had is, since we've been hunters and gatherers, that, you know, we sit around our fire and we, we share our kill and our gathering yeah. and we, yeah. we talk. Now that's very healing. And that's, yeah. and that's one thing that blokes stop doing, isn't it, Dave? After they leave school, they, they tend to... What we tend to stop doing is talk to just family members. We we tend to stop going and grabbing other groups of blokes to sit and chat with and, and chew to that with. And, 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 and for me, on my hill, I literally... And some people are going to take offence to this. I go to the bar to have those chats. Yeah, yeah. we're well, going to laugh to me on Thursday. Yeah, so there you go. But that's, that's, see, okay. that's another place. All right, that's so what I'm going to do, oh, so I'll just uh, interject the food conversation here. Um, <laughs> what I would like to do, actually, is just to talk. I've got a couple of other questions before we wind up today. And this is a very important question in respect to, to men because I feel that, as you said, men men don't talk enough. It's, it's what it is. Relationship breakdowns are part of life and these occur in our personal life and our work life. Can any of you shed some light on any actions that you've put into place to help you through difficult times, both personal or in your work life? Any? Yeah, I can. I would, I would, Go yeah. for it, Owen. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been uh, with my wife now for 13 years. I've got two young kids, three and five. And... You know, life, life, life in a partnership comes with challenges. There's no question about that. No one has a relationship that is 100% magic gold all the time. And one of the things that we found really, really helpful was actually seeking uh, help from a specialist. So we went and saw, you know, many years ago we went and saw a, I guess you'd call them a counsellor, a relationship counsellor, something like that. Um, and... You know, I wasn't really as open to it, you being male and, and not feeling like you need the help, etc. But it, it is incredible the difference it makes to how you communicate, how you understand each other, because you have this person there who is an expert at facilitating that connection and you don't really have the skills. Nobody taught you those skills growing up and it, it, for me it was, it was absolutely a game changer. And I see a lot of people, you know, you know divorce rates are, are ridiculously high and, and relationship breakdowns. And I think a lot of the time, especially with friends of mine, I, I ask the question, what did you do prior to that breakdown happening 
to really try and solve the problem. If it was anything else in your life, you would have gone and figured out all of the tactics and strategies that other people have used to be successful in that space. And one of those strategies is seeking help. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I'm, I can agree with you there. Alan, um, myself as well, I, um, we did the same thing. Me and my wife have been together for 13 years. So, um, and we, we did the same thing. And it's like you... People are happy to come to me and, and undertake a training program and, and nutrition or whatever, yet they they won't, you know, work on their mind. And, and like you said, it's, it's so much more beneficial getting someone to, to, to lay it all out and basically start assessing that and building a bit of connection and seeing yourself from an emotional or a more logical point of view. It just makes a massive difference. There's no, you know, the relationship's compromised. You've got to learn, you've got to grow, and you've got to adapt. Mm. I might just throw in just while I have a chance here in terms of a resource smell. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a, there's a um, I think the term that she refers to herself as a, a, a sexual psychotherapist called Esther Perel. Yes. And for, and for someone that hasn't yet got, you know, wanting to go and actually hire a person and put themselves out there to that level, she, she's got some free episodes on, I believe it's Audible, called... Sessions with Esther Perel, so it's E S T H E R, and then Perel, I believe, is P E R E L L, something like that. Look, look her up because if you're going through some relationship challenges with your other half, uh, I tell you what, some of the stuff that she she, she does these live counselling sessions, and as a resource, uh, just just a great touch point for people that are, yeah. that are in relationship conflict. She's also got a TED Talk. She's also got a whole heap of books. Um, That's right. And yeah. there's a specific series that she did on Audible. Uh, I think it's called Why Are We Here? Yes. On that. Yeah. Amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty cool. And one thing, I went to see a relationship counsellor once and I'd seen all the Esther Perel stuff and the counsellor just kept quoting the Esther Perel stuff and I was like, I've already seen all of that stuff. You know, do something for you. Uh, as someone who's actually gone through two relationships, big relationship breakups, one thing Mel said is they are going to break down at some stage. Like, and as a kid, when you're growing up and you see all of these families that stay together forever, and, and for me, it was a failure in those mm. relationships breaking down, and I saw myself as failing. Even hearing that some relationships break up and some go on is actually kind of a refreshing statement in and of itself because I'm sure there's a lot of other blokes go there and go, geez, my marriage failed, it's my fault, I did, and I'll start blaming themselves. Yeah. And they'll live with that for a long time. So Mm. even hearing that, you know what, there are times when a relationship will break down and then what steps can you take to get yourself... Yeah, learn, right. Yeah, correct. And that, maybe that's how we have to look at it, Dave, as a learning and growing experience as opposed to another failure and digging yourself into a hole. I think we, teach, we teach people all day about adaptation in the gym. It's the same thing with a relationship or a You'd or like a to do so, but we tend not yeah. to see it like that. <laughs> yeah. But, but how much does communication change that, right? As soon as you start yeah, talking exactly. about it, it all of a sudden feels a lot less of a big thing and it feels more normal. Yeah, true. Yep. And, and that's the secret, bad. though, isn't it? That's the secret, though, that we need to talk. And we also, mm. talking is just as important as listening to what other people have got to say. And I mm. think the problem, sorry, the persona of the fitness industry is that 
it's tough it's beautiful it's glamorous and we and yeah. you know the fitness industry yeah. have their have their shit together and that is so so incorrect yeah. on a lot of levels and yeah. um, because if it was true we wouldn't be doing this podcast today the the reality is that we're in actually in a really important role and, and that's to keep people's lives on track, whether it's with um, their weight, whether it's with their mental health um, or any other aspect of their life. Problem is fitness business professionals have the same problems as everybody else. And we we're need, normal people. We're normal yep. people. Don't put us on a pedestal because there's nothing worse when you come down with a thump. Um, you feel like a failure. And, and, you know, the point of the podcast today is to share some tools to fitness business professionals who are listening and also consumers that there are tools out there to help get you back on track and that it's okay, it's not weak for you to just put up your hand to go, you know what, I stuffed up, I need some help, please help me. What you guys have done today is play the really important role in collaborating together as a team and by sharing all of your, your feedback. So now my next question to you, of course, is how important is it to be playing a team sport? Do you think that getting out, doing fitness stuff together with more than more than one or two people, moving up will help us move away from digital technology, um, will help relieve the stress a little bit? How important, irrespective of your age, is team sport? Panel question, for, go. For, for, for endos and mesos? Yes. For endos and mesos, highly, 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 highly. They, some of them crave it. They need that social interaction. They need other people. The more ectomorphic people playing a sport like chess, they want more intimate. So this is a if, – if you guys want more than that, go to – PH360 at me, I think it is. And you can do a free online test and see what your health type is. It will go down to, sorry, the boys have done a really good job. Um, like, where should you be living to help to express your genome the best? What foods work best for you? What, when should you go to bed? There's all sorts of stuff around that affects men. So, Mesos and endos want sport. They want team sport because they crave that social interaction. Ectos will probably want ecto more, you know, the ones I'm talking about, relatively skinny, tall, long bones, and, or not long bones always, but fish. Okay? And they want a more intimate game. They want a less scary social interaction. They still need social interaction, just looks a little bit differently for them. Yeah, I think Darren, Darren here, if I can jump. You know, I agree. I think it depends on what makes you happy. And exactly as you were saying, it depends on different behavioural styles and, and those sorts of things as well. So to be aware of that is to stop and have that conversation with yourself, be self-aware to say, what environment do I need myself to be in to make me happy, now, whether it's a team environment or not. For me personally, yeah, I think often we need to take away our distractions and that might be headphones you know oh, i got into long distance running when my dad was crooked at cancer and that was my time to be able to go for a long run not have any distractions with music or headphones but actually be aware of what i'm feeling and how am i going to deal with it and i think because we're always distracted by social media other people people around us all the time sometimes not having a team sport where you can go out and just spend some time being aware of 
how are you feeling? How are you going to respond to it? Or if it's a relationship, how's our relationship? What do I need to improve it to do to improve it? What are my actions involved in that? You know, and I relate it to physical performance. You know, when I train for a marathon or an Ironman or a cycling event, I intentionally train without earphones and distractions because I want to know what my body feels like. I want to know when it's in pain and how do I mentally deal with that. And I think it's the same with our emotions. I need to know, have that time by myself, whether it's a long run or whatever, to go, all right, how am I feeling? Acknowledge it and what am I going to do about what action am I going to do? So sometimes there's a benefit to being away from everyone mm-hmm. and just doing your own thing for a little while. I think sports where people can do their own thing for a while and then interact with the group and then do their own thing for a while and interact with the group, like, like a martial art, where particularly a carter-based or a structure-based martial art, where you're doing your own thing, you have to work on your own skills, but then there are points of, of interaction with other people would, would be a good way for yeah. a lot of people to go down that path and get back into movement that isn't skill. Um, they can social when they want to, they can pull back from social if they need to. Scott, have yeah. you got any feedback for this? Yeah, sure. I think that's all really important. I think part of the problem is a lot of, we all know what great things out there. There's so many different things out there that you can do, but I think the average consumer out there often doesn't think that. They think there's a gym and it's what they think the gym is, right or wrongly, and it's normally the place they went to 20 years ago or watching too much Biggest Loser or something, and that's what they think it is. Um, and they don't want to do it. So I think making people aware there's so many other different options out there that aren't necessarily inside the four walls of the gym. So for us, we get a lot of people come for us because it's private for training and no one has to see them exercise and that's something from a mental health perspective. That's great because how many people feel bad about themselves when they walk into a place where there's everyone's they at least perceive is looking better than them. So that privacy is one thing. It can be exercise at home, um, sports great as well, and different sports suit different people. I think a lot of people think, oh, I just need to lose weight and feel better about myself to go to the gym. And if that's what their perception of the gym is, isn't something they right like, then they just, they just don't do it. But I mean, yeah, especially, there's so many different definitions of what fitness is and therefore mental health from fitness as well. People, mm. we all need to get awareness out there to people. I think us lot do, but the industry as a whole does a pretty bad job of making people realise there's a million options out there to suit every person. Correct. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Scott. I think the industry has a major messaging problem at the moment and um, there's so much opportunity for us to share the, the, the real power of what being engaged with our industry gives you. I mean, we, we can service and help so many diverse different types of people and all we're really pushing out there is, you know, six-pack abs and skinny butts and yeah. lose 10 kilos and, and, I mean, that is literally the smallest kind of help that we can give as an industry and I just, I just think... Hey, it's not skinny butts anymore, is it? It's bigger butts, yeah. isn't it? Well, yeah. 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 And I think the tough one is as well, you look at all, all the industry leaders, you know, we all go to the Firelex and we all, we all have that same mindset and it's a tiny fraction of the industry that all has the same mindset and that's all around you know, health, whether that be physical health or mental health. But that's a tiny minority of the industry. And then we go downstairs to the trade show, to put it politely, and it's uh, it's a whole different industry. And that's what the average person out there who's 30 kilos overweight and has an exercise for 30 years thinks, thinks our industry is. So it's yeah. getting people yeah. see more that the real industry, when it comes to real health and fitness, is what we do, not the stuff that looks better in an Instagram post. So but I can say, as, just quickly, Mel, as, as someone that is working 
directly in this space with some of the big brands, um, you know, there, there is opportunity now for the big brands to change their messaging, and some of them are open to it. And yeah. I think we're going to see more of this. Um, we're going to see, we're going to see, and, and it's really about, you know, it's multifaceted. It's, it's, it's about the brand uh, and the marketing teams understanding that they actually still can achieve their business objectives and possibly even uh, improve them by creating more engaging messaging to talk to a wider audience rather than relying on the quick fix, you know, sign up for a week for a new sexy images, etc. But that's, that's going to take some time and we're going to prove that the results work for them in the business sense. But you know there, there there is light at the end of the tunnel. I think it is it's starting to happen. All right, so let me a lot just more awareness definitely about it. So let, sorry, Scott. So let me just ask you this: We are a new era of fitness business professionals, and we are sending out some absolutely incredible information to our industry. I want each of you to answer this question. If there was one message that you could send to the fitness industry now on how to change the direction that they are currently going on, what would that message be? Scott, I'll pick up with you first. Can you just repeat that, Mel? I didn't catch all of that. (laughs) Okay, so the question to you is, if you had one message to the current fitness business industry, to change the direction, what would it be? A tool. Give them a tool to change the current direction because they're going in the wrong oh. direction at the moment. I'll go first. Go. Health and fitness should be individualised to meet the specific demands and the genetics of that profile. Uh, and a complete tool. I know Dave's got some great stuff around genetic profiling. Um, a great tool, I said this earlier, is ph360.me, where we can start to look at epigenetics, the expression of the genome, not just the genome itself. Uh, there is no blanket statement for any individual. Um, it's fair to say that move more and eat better is fair. Better sleep is probably fair. Once we start going past those generalizations, everybody is a different behemoth. Justin. Yeah, so I would say that the biggest thing, and, and really simply, is just to be in the moment. And if we're going to, if you're going to train someone or someone's training, teach them to actually be aware of what's going on in their body and what they're really actually trying to achieve, and then focus on that and get just be in that moment and enjoy that. And then they will see the benefit of how they felt when they walked into the gym versus how they feel when they leave the gym. It's just that simple message of trying to get people to see. Helping yourself can then help you help others. Dave, what's your message? My message is if you're a health and fitness industry, you should include health. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Scott? Yeah, look, I was pretty much going to say the same thing. It's, 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 it's a health and fitness industry. It's not the six-pack industry or the, the get-huge industry or the selfie industry. It's supposed to be the health and fitness industry. So that includes mental and physical health. Um, and I think the whole industry as a whole also needs to look at the fact that we have, what, 85% of the country doesn't really go to a gym at all, depending on which stats you look at. 
And if people want to get more people engaged and help more people, we've got to actually offer a service that's actually going to help those people versus telling everyone you should love hardcore extreme exercise. Now, mm-hmm. this, of course, doesn't really do that, but the internet as a whole, as we know, is, is still pushing the whole it's all or nothing approach. So if we want to get more people engaged in exercise and then all the businesses to benefit from that too, of course, then it's got to be got to be getting people off the couch and actually finding what's appropriate for them, whether it be a, a gym or a sport or, or anything at all. Um, Darren and Owen. Yeah, for me, it's from an industry perspective, is to include it in all of our programming. So to have, whether it's mindfulness or mental health as actions that the client chooses to participate in for their mental health. So they'll have their resistance training, they'll have their cardio training, they'll have their nutrition, and they'll have mental health program. Now, not for us to give prescriptions unless we're trained in it, but to say, um, client, you know, what are you, what actions are you going to do to enhance your mental health? You know, maybe here's some, some apps that have, that have had success before, or here's some things that I've used, and then that client chooses what they do, but then as part of those reviews is just like it is for physical performance. How have you gone with your sets and reps? How have you gone with your cardio and your intensities? Let me see your, your food diary. And what have you done for your mental health? So it's part of our programming. Owen? Yeah, look, Mel, I'd say from, from the industry um, point of view globally, we need to be totally dissatisfied with the fact that we only engage with between 5 and 20% of the global population. And part of the way that we can change that is by understanding the true value proposition of what we offer as an industry and then communicating that in a much more effective way but in an individualised way so that we can talk to very different people that we could provide benefit to in the way that is going to engage and attract them and then serve them in the right way as well as individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, gentlemen, we are coming to the end of our, our podcast today. I've got one last question for each of you, and it, your answer cannot be any more than five words. Oh, cheapest. So, Andrew, I'm going to leave you to last. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Good idea. So, so the question that I'm asking you is, in five words, give me a way to stop the stress bucket from overflowing. Scott, you're up first. Uh, crap, that don't count that word. Um, yeah. Find a healthy balance that works for you long term. All right, Justin. Disconnect from your device. Dave. I'm going to lend Chatty my two words, but I've got three. Live your values. Darren. Silence the mind. Owen? Focus on loving now. Okay, Andrew? Uh, Change your state. Change your physical state to change your emotional state. Fantastic. So I'd like to thank our panel today for joining us on the podcast. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, none of our panel today are qualified mental health practitioners. If any of the content of our podcast did disturb you or you do need help, please do call Lifeline 131114 or Beyond Blue 1300 224 
36. Gentlemen, I thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thanks, Thanks Mel. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank everyone.